Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that sounded really religious, didn't it? Um, I, uh, it? It's interesting. The Apostle Paul starts almost three quarters of his epistles to the church with that salutation. And his churches that he was writing to, man, they were all screwed up. I mean, they were messed up. They were troubled with drinking and sexing and money issues and idols and all that stuff. And he started off with them with the phrase, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever you're walking through today, no matter how small it has made you, I want you to know that you are sitting in a place where God's first word, his reflex response to you being here, and the, the successes and the failures of your life are this. Hey, son, daughter, just grace and peace to you for me. Let's just, let's just have a moment of love and let peace come into your life. So that's what God wants us to encounter today. You know, we talked about stimulus, and I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for Mr. Biden to cut me a check. I mean, it's like I'm just, I'm just waiting for it to happen, and I don't know how it's going to affect inflation, but I don't really care. I just want my check. And, and, and the stimulus idea, I love it. I've got, I've got things I want to do with that check. Hey, speaking of doing something with your check, how many people out here, you bought stock in GameStop? Stop, huh? Anybody? Nobody? Uh, so we're all still poor, huh? Yeah, man, I tell you what, if you follow the stocks or anything like that, it was an amazing time. All of a sudden, these gaming nerds all of a sudden became millionaires just like that. It was incredible. What a, but I say that is that I wouldn't mind having a stimulus so that I can invest in things, so that I can buy things, so I can get some of the things that I need in my life. And that's the intention. The intention is to empower us with some sort of resource so that we, in turn, can let it flow into the economy so that we can see a restoration of things around us. And I don't think it's too far from the biblical idea. I think when I think about it, it's like God has gifted us with so many things, love, salvation, his Holy Spirit. He has just kind of filled us, and, and we're like clouds. We're like clouds that... Then, and I love clouds because they're part of the earth, but they're also a part of the atmosphere. And that's what believers are, people who follow after God. We're, we're part of the earth, but yet we're also in the atmosphere. We're connected with heaven. And that God wants our lives like clouds to just bring blessings and rain on the people around us. We learned last week or two weeks ago that if all the water and the rain clouds fell on planet Earth all at one time, there would be no dry land. It would all have water on it. And see, I also believe that in America today and in your family today, that there is enough power, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, truth, that if we allow it to be released out of our lives to the people around us, we will begin to see restoration take place. And that God wants to use us. He has given us a stimulus check through his son, Jesus Christ, through his resurrection and through his Holy Spirit and through his word so that we can drop that stimulus into our marriages and into our parenting and, and all the people. I love what, what God said to Abraham because I think this echoes the idea. In Genesis 12, 2, he said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Now, I know we love the song, God Bless America, and we use that as a slogan as God Bless America, but we never really finished it rightly, did we? 
We said it should be God bless America so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the true biblical principles, that God blesses us not only so that we can have a little bit more and so that we can enjoy more, but also so that we can be a blessing around us, a stimulus around us. And when uh, Stacy was talking last week about forgiveness, that's such a powerful thing to give, isn't it? Oh, I mean, just to drop the rain of forgiveness into a person's life. It just restores things. When you just bring the forgiveness that God has given you and you begin to, in turn, love people with that same forgiveness, it, it, changes, it changes everything. When a, when a wife forgives a husband, when a husband forgives a wife, when parents forgive children and children forgive parents, and when we forgive one another, I mean, it's just a powerful thing to reign on people. But one of the things that I thought when I was thinking about what was the next powerful element that stimulus that God wants me to bring into the world. I would, I would have to say the next thing is hope. Hope is a powerful thing. And, I, and I'm going to talk about hope a little bit differently than maybe you normally hear about it. And, and maybe you have five verses that you're telling me, well, I can't believe you didn't use that verse. But that's okay. I, I want you to unlearn so that we can learn again together. Uh, sometimes words in Christianity have become so crystallized and then institutionalized and then fossilized that they really don't have any potency anymore to us. And hope is one of those words. I mean, wh what do we mean hope? Do we mean wish? Do we, what, what does it actually mean? So we're going to be talking about hope. And let me just say, if you're a skeptic out there or if you know somebody who's a skeptic, the next time someone tells you that they don't believe in anything other than what science can prove, ask them if they believe in the abstract concept of hope. It can't fit in a test tube and be measured, but life cannot be lived without it. Whatever biological, um, electrical, bioelectrical system causes the heart to beat, and I, I don't know how it works, but there's a whole it, you know, electrical field around your heart. It's got poles like magnetic poles. and the, Whatever that electrical post pole is that says to the heart, beat, beat, be beat, beat. Hope is to the spirit and to the soul and to our emotions. You know, it's, it's like when we wake up in the morning, if we don't have hope, we wonder why should we get out of bed? If we're in a marriage that's got conflict, we wonder why we should forgive. When we look at the economy, when we look at the world and race issues and, and things that go on in America, sometimes we could wake up with our biological lives and our hearts have just stopped and we need something to come along in some sort of way and just tell our hearts to beat, our marriages to beat, beat, to our parenting to beat, something that will kickstart the system. And hope seems to be that. When you give hope to somebody, it just seems to cause the heart to just be beat just one more time. So when we look at hope, how do we get it? What is it, what is it that God wants us to give to others? Because if you're like me, I look at the news and I look at people who commit suicide, particularly. Um, and uh, I'm particularly amazed by pretty people who commit suicide and rich people and famous and successful people. 
because it just kind of blows me away. I mean, I'm living in the, the world of, you know, moderate, mod, you know, moderate success, moderate beauty, moderate, you know, I mean, you know where I, we're all at, you know. And so sometimes when we look at these people that are bigger than life, sports heroes, actors, politicians, uh, you know, people who've made money in, 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 in uh, politics or in finance, I mean, and then all of a sudden we find out that they kill themselves. We, we're kind of like, what is up with that? What we're finding is, is that biological measurable life is not enough to sustain the human spirit. It needs this, this thing called hope to tell its heart to beat just one more time, to go forward, to strive forward, regardless of the failures, regardless of the mistakes, to one more day wake up and to beat one more time. So what is hope? Well, I'm just going to give you a couple definitions that come out of the dictionary. You're probably familiar with them. But I am particularly interested that they, uh, the definition for hope is uh, that hope is a verb and it is a noun. And, and I think that's an interesting concept. As a verb, it means this. To wish for a particular event that one considers possible. To have confidence or trust. As a noun... It is defined as a source of or reason for longing or desire. So it's, when you think about hope, it's, there's some verbness about it and there's some nounness about it. You know, I, thinking about it this way, it's, it's like if you're in a canoe. There are times when, when you're in the canoe that the river is the hope. And you're sitting in the river, and the river is moving you down. But then, and that's how it is as a noun. But then there are times when you begin to paddle your canoe to move in a direction, a new direction. That's when hope takes on the properties of a verb. But the interesting thing that hope, whether it's a noun or as a verb, are all powers that move you in a direction. See, without hope, Without the hope of God in our lives, our lives may be successful. We may have wealth. We may have beauty. We may have all the trimmings of life. But it doesn't mean they're moving forward. In America, we're stuck right now because all our hope is kind of gone. You know, it just kind of seems like, you know, the water's not moving. So what do we do in the middle of this time? And, and so that's why we need so much hope in our lives. So how do you get hope? And how do you become more hopeful? Uh, or let me ask it this way. How do you put fizzle in your buble or your bubbly? There's this, this drink that's real popular right now. Anybody drink this drink? I, I drink it. It's, uh, okay, I'm an Amazon shopper. and it's, uh, it's, Some people call it bubbly and uh, some people call it buble. Um, I'm a blue buble guy because it looks like we're missing a B there. And I think that's how it should be pronounced. But bottom line, what it is, is it's carbonated water. Now, you can buy this at the store, or you can get this cool little contraption here. Oh, yeah, I like this guy. Uh, this is a Christmas thing for me, and it's called a soda string. Now, I don't know if you have one of these at the house, but if you don't want to do a lot of the cans thing, um, the soda stream is a, is a really cool concept because... Um, what it does, it's got a CO2 cartridge in the back of this thing, okay? So there's, in the back of that, and you take your, your regular water, okay? You got your, your nice cold water, and you stick it in this device here, 
and you put it up there, and you shift that there. Okay, so now what I've got is flat, regular water. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to push one of these three buttons up here, and I'm going to infuse it with carbonation so that it now becomes this lively, delightful drink. Let's, so let's go ahead and uh, let's, let's load it up with, uh, with fizzle. Okay, here we go. Man, isn't that thing cool? Man, who wants a can when you can have something like this? I mean, this is just... So what it's doing is it's injecting everything. It's infusing carbonation into it, and you take it off, and you're... Yeah, and, I mean, regular water. Now this thing is loaded with carbonation. It's been infused. And when I think about hope, I think about... Something, it's like an element that needs to be infused into us. That for a lot of us, our lives have gone flat. Have you ever, have you been in a flat marriage before? I've been there once or twice. You know, where, you, you're, where all the fizzle's gone, where there's no bubbly any longer, where there's nothing special. Have you ever, in your family, have you experienced this, where things go flat? So how do you infuse it back into it? Well, I think hope is infused back into us, into our lives. If, if the bottle could represent, and I'm being very existential here, um, if, if this bottle represents your life, we can have hope infused back in us. So let me, let me use the illustration of my favorite pastime as an example. How do I, how do I fish and be hopeful that I'm going to catch a fish? And this correlates perfectly with our Christian walks, our, our daily lives. I first, I, I first get hope with the evidence of something. Okay, I look for evidence that I'm going to catch a fish or where I should catch a fish. Well, the first step is this. Um, I, I will walk out on my neighbor's dock and I will begin to look at the creek. And I look like a madman, a scientist, you know, because I'll have my fishing rod in my hand and I'll have my polarized sunglasses because I want to be able to see through the water. And, and so I'll be watching and I'll be real slow. And if anybody's with me, I'll tell them, I need you to be really quiet. And so we'll walk along and I will try to interpret the, the surface of the water. I usually fish in like um, maybe eight inches to three feet of water. I'm, I'm fishing for redfish, if you're familiar with that. And so I will watch for a certain kind of signature of movement. I can tell the difference between a mullet and a, uh, a shrimp and uh, uh, an otter and all that. I, I know what the waveform is for a spot-tailed bass. I know exactly what it looks like. And so I'll look for those movements. Sometimes I'll actually jump up and down on the, on the dock to scare the fish so I can see their movement, so I know that they're there. Another way that I'll check that gives evidence of something is I'll look for birds. One of the greatest indicators of finding fish in an area is to look for where the birds are landing. You know how they follow uh, shrimp boats and they follow lobster boats and things like that? I mean, they also will look and see where fish are moving in the water. And so I will look for, if I see a lot of birds, I'll be like, okay, that's evidence of something. That's evidence of maybe catching a fish. And then the third thing I look for for evidence is I will look to see where the other boats are. You know, if I see a bunch of boats all gathered together uh, on the shore in one particular area, maybe the outflow of a creek, I will probably go fish that area. You know, because they're giving away that there's something going on there or there is the 
hope of something going on there. That's why when I'm fishing on my neighbor's dock, I'm a very selfish man. Um, I, I, I could be classified as a jerk, but I, let's just not be that harsh today. Grace and peace today. And so whenever anybody goes by in a fishing boat, and I can tell what they look like. There's the pleasure boat. You know, that's the guy playing the honky-tonk music in his boat real loud, and he's got three girls. He's not looking to catch fish, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, that, that's a whole different kind of boat. Uh, but what, when I see a fishing boat come, I actually, no lie, had a fish on the line. <laughs> That's what it looks like. You know, and, and seen a fishing boat go by and actually taken my fishing rod and put it on the ground and stood on it like this. Why? Because of a fishing, a group of chowder-headed fishing guys are coming by and they see evidence of something. What will they do? They'll turn their boat in. Hey, you have any luck tonight? Mind if we fish right where you're fishing? And I don't want them fishing where I'm fishing. So I, when, I, when I look for hope of catching a fish, I look for the evidence of something. That, is, that, is, that will correlate to our relationship with God. The second thing I look for is the promise of something. The promise of something. And the promise of something is only as good as the person who's making the promise. There are some people, they'll say, hey, they're going to do something. You can count on it. You know what's going to happen. You can take it back to the bank. There are others that you don't really know. So what I do is I, I will find the promise of something. So I will, I will hire a guide who I know knows how to catch a certain kind of fish, and I will do everything that that guy tells me to do. If that guide tells me to use a certain kind of bait, I'll use that bait. If they tells me to throw it out and reel it back in a certain way, I will reel it back in a certain way. But I will pay that individual to show, I can't, I can't catch trout. I mean, I, maybe some of you can out there, but the trout are running right now in Charleston. I can't catch a trout to save my life. Um, so, so I'm probably going to spend $400, and I'm going to have a guide take me out and show me how to catch trout. See, that is the promise of something. That person's job is to put you on fish. If you hire me, if you trust my words, you will catch fish. Now we can see how that correlates to God as well. And then the third thing that I have is the expectation of something. And that's interesting phrase. The expectation of something is based upon Past fulfillment. It's based upon something that has happened in my past. Um, for instance, I know that it's now we're moving into February. And in February, I know the water temperature has dropped below 68 degrees. So that tells me a couple things. That tells me that live bait will not be available and they'll probably won't eat any frozen shrimp. So I'm probably going to have to use a plastic lure of some kind or artificial. Um, I also know that that means that my best time is going to be the incoming tide up against the shore, and that's probably where I'll catch them. See, because of last year, I killed it when nobody else was killing, catching fish. I was catching fish. I have the expectation, if all the other things are lined up the same way, I have the expectation that I am going to catch fish. You know, it's, it's kind of like um, when David... You remember uh, Goliath. We talked about this in the Bible study on, on Wednesday. Um, he shows up, Goliath's out there just tormenting everybody, making fun of them, you know, talking about their mom. And, and, and then um, 
King Saul, he's too scared to go out and find him, and all the armies of Israel are too afraid to fight this guy. And then, then this little 17-year-old guy comes up, and, you know, he's pulling his harp behind him that has the big wheels because he plays the harp, and, and he pulls, he's pulling it through the mud, and he gets up there to King Saul, and, and so he says, I'll go out and fight him. And it's like, why, is this guy just cockier than everybody else? Is this guy more spiritual than everybody else? No. When they ask him, why do you think, young man, you can catch this, he says, well... With my God, when the lion came out, I killed him. And then when the bear came out, I killed him. And therefore, this Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear, and I'm going to kill him. See, his hope was based upon his history with God. That all those things began to add up and to create an expectation in his life. This is why when Israel would go through a transition... And one of those transitions was represented by going through the Jordan River. They were going from non-promised land to promised land. And God, when he stopped the the river from flowing, which would have been really cool to see because it it was heaping up. It's not like the Red Sea where it splits both ways. A river is flowing someplace, so it's heaping up on one side. And so the Jewish people are walking through. Well, he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of the rocks on the land about 12 of them, really big ones, and I want you to put them in the, middle, in the middle of the river and stack them up on top of each other. And it's like, well, why would he do that? Well, they did what he t- said, and when they got to the other side, the river starts to flow again, and in the middle of this river, there is the stack of these giant stones. Why? So that one day when the Israelites face COVID-19 or they have racial turmoil or economic stress, or going through a divorce, or hardship in their lives. They could always walk back to the bank of the Jordan and look at those 12 stones and remember when that river was dry, when God did something special in their lives, when God was faithful and trustworthy in their lives. See, and that creates an expectation of something. I, this year, I'm not, you guys know, I'm not, the, the person in this church that's really, if you need prayer, is Ben and Stokes and our prayer team, which is absolutely amazing. They believe God for absolutely everything. Um, I am a little bit less full of faith. It's just not my, I'm just, I'm a doubter all the time. I doubt all the time. So in order to try to help me this year in 2021, because there's something worse than COVID-19 going around. It's called Hopelessness. And it will kill everyone. And so I started making a log of all the miracles that I'm hearing people talk about. I'm talking about, and if you come up and tell me a miracle, I'm gonna gonna quiz you now. I'm gonna be like, okay, wait a minute now. All right, tell me how this miracle happened. Did anybody else witness it? How did that, so so I've been writing them down. For instance, we had one miracle that took place. A woman um, came for prayer a, a couple months ago and her, she had cancer, she had surgery, and now the cancer had filled like the, uh, the whole side of her body. And, and it was pretty much the doctors were like, hey, you just need to go home and, you know, try to be comfortable. And there was some things that protocol they were putting her through, but really wasn't having an effect until she goes back and she's been prayed for and it's all gone. Today, Ben received a text from somebody in our church who's struggling with brain cancer. And the text said they had just gotten an MRI and the brain cancer is totally gone. 
And it's like, so I'm writing that down in my little journal. Why am I writing that down? Is because they become stones stacked up in the middle of a river of adversity that remind me, you know, I've taken you through this before. Remember, I, I'm capable of doing this. And so there's this expectation of hope. And when a fisherman has all three of these going together, man, that's, you want to go fishing with somebody that's got that kind of hope. Um, and the same is with God. God gives me evidences. He really does. He has given me evidences. And I love what 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul said about that. He said, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort... Now, when he's talking to this audience, he, they know what he means when he says, who loved us. Who loved us was not just this idea who had gooey feelings for me. It's like, no, who stacked, he's referring to the I loved you with the death of my son and the resurrection of my son. The 12 stones stuck and uh, put in the middle of the river of adversity. He says, now may the God... Our Father, who loved us and gave eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish your hearts in every good work and word. You know, it's so it's like every good word, every good work that God has ever accomplished is for the purpose of establishing our hearts. He's not talking about every good work that we do or every good word we say. That doesn't establish our hearts. What establishes our hearts is every good word God has spoken and every good work that God has done. So that creates inside of me the evidence that God's going to work. Then there's God makes me promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's like, he's like, listen, you can just rest in the promises of God because all the promises that God makes are yes. So that's why, you know, when we read our scripture, when, we, when we're part of small group, when we're, when we're learning about God's word, we're not just doing it to be religious. We're, in, we're infusing. It's, it's kind of like we're taking our lives every time we go into the word of God and we're sticking it up there and then we're doing this and then we're pushing one of the buttons on the top and as we learn the word of God and the promise of God, it begins to infuse us with strength, with hope. And then God builds on my past with him. I've had a, an interesting path. Uh, it, it's, not, it's a good life. I'm, I'm happy with my life. Let me, I made a list of things that I, I, moments, key moments when I needed hope from God. Um, when I went through my divorce, that was, that was a really big moment. I didn't think any, you know, I didn't think I could make a marriage work. So that was my, my second place where I needed hope is making a second marriage work. I don't know if you've been there two or three times, but... You know, it's, it's hard to make them to work if you don't have something infused in you. I mean, just because you're flat from the first one doesn't mean that the second one's going to bubbly. You know, we think that, no, unless you have something infused in you, nothing, nothing changes. It all remains the same. Single parenting, leaving a good job to do ministry, raising kids. Oh, my goodness, if you ever needed hope, that's, you know, you just need some infusion. 
dealing with injuries and illnesses in my life, facing flooding three times this building has flooded, losing loved ones. But because of seeing the adversities and, and walking with God in them, I've seen him keep his promise. And his promise that I love the most that he has spoken to me is this. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That God is going to do something in your life. God's going to do something wonderful with your life. And then there's the fourth way about that I didn't talk about the fishing analogy because there probably really isn't a corollary between the analogy. And that's when one, two, and three don't work. Has anybody ever been there? You've read the Bible. You've been, people have told you, oh, it's going to work out. I really feel God's going to do amazing things in your life. Have you ever been there where you just kind of went, ah, you know, like, really? You really think it's going to work out? And, and it just, when I injured my back, when I, when I, you know, had that thing happen to my chest and then it took me out of all sports and it's become a pain in my life for, and it looks like a, you know, it, people would come up and, and, and try to say things to me and, and, and then there were times when I would just lay in bed and just wish I would die and, and I would just, you know, it's like, wow, my future, I'm going to be on Oxycontin for the rest of my life, I'm going to be on this antidepressant for the rest of my life, I'm going to be, you know, it's like, I'm done, I'm not a man anymore, I can't play sports and, you know, all this stuff was wrapped up and I was in a dark place and if you were here, you remember me, I actually broke down on the stage and cried and it, because I just, I was just so overwhelmed with what felt like the end of my life. And I remember going out walking and saying to God, in effect, I don't have number one, I don't have number two, and I don't have number three. I'm just going to need you to give me hope because I've lost it. That life has, uh, has shaken me up so much and then taken the cap off and it's all my hope is just gone. And I just needed God through the power of the Holy Spirit you're just gonna have to do something for me because I've got nothing. And God did it. He just infused through his Holy Spirit enough hope for my heart to go beat, 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 beat. And God promised me that if I will just with every beat just rely on his hope and he fused in me that my life would work out and be transformed. Then God asks us to share my infusion with others. So, um, Madison, uh, would you be interested in uh, uh, some, uh, some of my fizzle and my faux shizzle? Let me, uh, let me give you that little Snoop Dogg action there. Let me get, isn't it funny that the word faux shizzle for fizzle, but um, uh, faux shizzle means for sure in whatever kind of talk. So confidence, trust, and hope is for shizzle. So I just gave her, it's like, wow, this guy is so white. <laughs> uh, um, but I just gave her a cup of, now secondarily, I mean, yes, I know my hope comes from God. I know my fizzle came from the cartridge back in here, but I had to put it in my bottle. And then I had to open my bottle and pour it in a cup and give it to her. See, people need hope. 
And God's given us hope. He has, he has infused hope in us so that we not are only blessed, but so that we can bless others with it as well. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Corinthians, he said this, it's so beautiful, it's, it's like a soda stream. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. What, what's comfort? It's the result of hope. When, when somebody gives you hope, what do you feel? It's like a, it's almost like a chemical. It just gives you comfort. You can, your heartbeat goes down. Your breathing is, is not so shallow anymore. But he says, blessed be the God who gives us comfort in all of our afflictions so that we would be able to comfort those in any affliction. In any affliction. I mean, I love it. He said, God gave me comfort. He gave me fizzle so that I could give fizzle to others who are in the middle of an adversity in their lives. So that we may comfort with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's how it works. That's how heaven comes to earth. It's beautiful. You know, I was thinking about this verse that Paul says, you know, that God's given him comfort. And um, I wondered, well, I wonder how Paul got hope. You know, was it, was it just one of these moments when he asked the Holy Spirit to fill him and give him hope? Or was it another way? So I started looking someplace in the scripture where, where Paul maybe gives us a hint where he got his hope from. Philemon Chapter 1, verse 7, he wrote to this guy, Philemon, and listen to what it says. For I have derived, I have received infusion, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon. What? See, at one point, Paul's life received fizzle from a guy named Philemon. Listen to how it continues. My brother, because the hearts of, of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, we're called to be clouds that rain hope on people. Paul's is talking about I've comforted people with the hope that God has comforted me with. And, and then he turns around and he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to let you know how I got this comfort. This is guy Philemon that refreshed my soul and poured hope into my life when I needed it. And what I did was I took my cup and I shared it with those around us. See, God wants to bless us. And I think if any reason why America has lost its sense of God-blessedness is because it's lost the second half of the equation. I will bless you so that you may bless others. See, we've been drinking all of our own fizzle. We haven't been using the fizzle to give to other people, to share in our marriages or around us. It's interesting that one of the things that I love about this is that hope qualifies all of us to be used. If you've ever thought about what your God calling is, you know, Paul, should I be a preacher? Should I go to seminary? Should I, you know, what should I do at the church? Should I do? Can I just say this? Give hope. Give hope, we'll be okay. If everybody here will just would get enough fizzle in their life from the Holy Spirit, from their confidence in the word of God, and give a cup of water, a fizzle, to, a, to another person, you are doing the ministry of the Lord. Every one of us can do it. So stop hiding the adversity in your life. Because I have found that if you have faced adversity with God and God has brought you through, it's time for you 
to reign. I mean, it is time for your cloud to begin to drop it. If God has brought you through adversity. So I'm going to say something that's going to sound really weird to you. Stop hiding your adversity. Stop hiding your flaws. Stop hiding your mistakes. Because Paul said that we can comfort other people with the adversity through the comfort that the Lord has given us in any adversity. So I'm going to say something that's totally crazy. If you've lost a loved one, you can give hope. I mean, I, if, if a woman walks in the door today and she's lost a child, I can walk up to her and say, I, I'm really sorry to hear about that and I'll be praying for you. And it may mean a little, it may put a few bubbles in her water, but not much. Now, if I take a woman from our church who has experienced the restoration of God after losing a child, and I pair those two together, all of a sudden, there's some fizzle happening because there's something about the adversity with the hope that empowers somebody to minister to another person. It, this is a crazy one, but I know that this needs to happen in this church. If you have cheated on your wife, Somebody that you probably have, you know, we would all say, well, that's a dirtbag. I mean, he's got no, no. If you have cheated on your wife, you can give hope. It's like, what? No, really. If you allow God to heal you in the middle of that and do whatever work he's doing in your life. We got men here that, that have just cheated on their wife and they need, they need to know that they can be restored. They don't need to hear from somebody who's had a perfect marriage. I never want to hear from those guys. You know, I mean, it's like, well, you know, we've been married for 51 years and I never looked at another woman. <laughs> okay, first, you're a liar. Second of all, um, you can't do anything for me. But you put me around. When I went through my divorce, I didn't look for people with 90-year marriages, you know. That just reminded me of how, how bad my first marriage was. I looked for people that broke the rule of the second marriage, the rule of the second marriage is that 80% of the second marriages will fail. So I started looking for that 20% and see if I could learn something. Because that 20%, if they walked with God and if they would speak to me about it, they could infuse me in my life. And you thought cheating on your wife meant that you were done for life with God. You might have thought cheating on your wife meant that you were done for ministry. Not the cross that I approach every single day. Maybe you've been cheated on. You can give hope. Maybe you face cancer. You can give hope. Uh, you know, I was, as you know, my good friend Tim Singleton has cancer, and they took off his uh, uh, leg, and then so he's got one leg, and I went and visited him yesterday, and we sit and just talk about a bunch of stuff for a couple hours, and um, I love talking to him, and and uh, then I noticed something in his bed. Okay, this is, a, this is a situation that needs God to move. Okay, he knows what he's up against. But he also knows he's still alive. Okay, so he, as long as he has a heart that will go boom, 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 that he feels. So what I found in his bed was a weight, like a weightlifting weight. It was just like a five-pound weight. Now, I was kind of interested about that. And so I asked him, what do you do with that? He goes, oh, okay. So he lifts up his good leg, and he straps it around his leg, and I do leg lifts to keep my leg from 
from atrophy. And I'm like, okay. And then I do curls to keep my arms from, from atrophy. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what you're up against, right? And you're still working out your body so that you can stay in shape? You know what that gave me? Hope. I was blown away how this person in the midst of this adversity could say, listen, I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to prepare my body for, for if God chooses to heal me. And that just infused hope in me. It made me realize, stop complaining about your back, Paul. Stop using your back as an excuse for, not, for, for gaining 25 pounds. I mean, I used to look like ten, uh, to Tom Cruise just about five years ago. I mean, seriously, if you've been here long, you remember that, folks? Remember Tom Cruise? Yeah, yeah. Liars. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there is hope. There is hope. <laughs> I, uh, I, okay. If you've gone through bankruptcy, if you've gone through bankruptcy, what do we normally do in America if you go through bankruptcy? You hide that, don't you? Because nobody wants to admit they've been through bankruptcy. Really? I'll tell you what, if you've gone through bankruptcy and God's taken you out the other side, we need you to share your bankruptcy experience. Why? Because there are people in this church that are going through bankruptcy and thinking it's the end of their lives. Well, how will they get it fizzled in their, you know, full shizzle? It's because somebody will speak to them about the hope and the help that God gave them in their adversity. When I go through a hard time, I don't look for somebody that's having an easy time. I look for a person with a gnarlier story than mine. That's why I love people with stories. I love being around alcoholics, you know? Because, I mean, those people have to live on hope. You know, they have to put themselves in groups and, and AA and sponsorship and all that stuff. What are they doing? They're looking for infusion so that they don't have to remain as, they don't have to remain as stale, flat, water, dysfunctional, but rather they look for infusion in their lives and they work the plan of God in their lives. So when I hurt my back, you know, it's the thoracic disc and, and it, you know, if you're a person of medicine, it's a big deal, okay? They're right behind my heart, one above my heart, one below my heart. And so, you know, when people have L4, L5, what to do? It hurts back here and it shoots pain down your leg. Well, mine are, are, are up against my spinal cord, and if they move, I stop breathing. So when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, Paul, I heard you, you had a, a, a herniated disc in your back, and, and I'll be like, well, I've got three herniated discs. Yeah, my grandpa has that. Um, first of all, I'm a little insulted that you're comparing me to your grandfather, so let's just stop right there. Second of all, like, yeah, he has a lumbar one, and, and you know what I'd say? I'd be like, I appreciate your kindness, but that's nothing like what's wrong with me. They can't heal it, they can't stick it, they can't, nothing. Surgery, they're just like, you can't lift more than 20 pounds for the rest of your life, or otherwise if you cough or reach or pull, all of a sudden you'll stop breathing because the nerves to your lung are right between these two discs. And it's like, that's paralyzing. So nobody could talk to me. I kept looking until a woman in this church, she could see the fear and the terror on my life. I mean, because I really had it. And when she came up to me, she put her hands on my shoulder, and I really didn't know her well at this time, and, and I just thought I was going to get another story. She said, Paul, I just want to let you know 
you're going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's nice. You're going to catch a fish. Any reason why you think I'm going to catch a fish today? Uh, she said, I had an injury in my neck. And immediately I was kind of like, oh, that's the neck. They do cervical repairs all the time. That's nothing. Nobody does thoracic repairs. And so, so I almost, she goes, well, I had this and it was terrible and I lived with pain for five years and battled with Oxycontin and pain things and all that stuff. And I just would wish to die and it almost affected my family because the pain was so immobilizing. And I'm like, okay. She said, so I had it repaired. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Three months later, I got rear-ended in a car accident and it broke all the repair work. And she had to go through all the surgeries all over again. Now she's got, now that's gnarly. And uh, she said, I just trusted God. And here I am today standing in front of you. And she said, it's gonna be okay, son. And I just boo-hooed like a baby. Why? Because somebody with a gnarlier story than mine was willing to share it and to tell me how God had helped them walk through it. So what, you've been married three times. So what, you deal with addictions. So what, that you failed. They will just be failures if you don't let God infuse them with hope. Then, when they're infused with hope, they become the cup of cold water with fizzle that we give in the name of Jesus. So every one of us, our experiences, when Paul talks about his shipwreck, and then he says, I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been left for dead four times. I've been bit by serpents. I've been betrayed by brothers. I've been lowered down in, by ropes in a basket. I've been left for dead after being stoned by a crowd. I've been deserted and left alone, in prison, in illness. And why is Paul going through all this? It's because he wants to say to all you folks out there that are shipwrecked, all you people out there have been snake bit, all you people out there that have cheated, all you people out there that struggle with porn, all you people out there that deal with doubt, all you people that have addictions, all you people who have ruined your first and second marriage, he said, I want to let you know there's hope. There's hope. Oh, my God. The world needs hope. Your children need hope. Your marriage needs hope. So as we go into this last moment together, I'm going to assume that you're all like me and that, that you've been all shook up. I know you're wondering if I'm going to open this, aren't you? Let's give it a shot. Okay, it didn't overflow. But a lot of us have lost our fizzle, our love, our tenderness, our compassion for others, our hope. We don't have any. So today, as we receive communion, Communion is the evidence of something. The body and blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the historical evidence of something. And that evidence of something is the first, it is the spawning, the infusion of hope. Let me ask you today to do something very spiritual. I'm gonna ask you to take your bottle, your life, 
and present it to the Holy Spirit and just ask him to fill it again. Because we've all leaked. We've all leaked. We've lost our, our hope. And today, God says, I will begin the process by infusing hope in you that the same God who rose Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body, quicken, meaning to, uh, effort, to add effervescence to your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we'll have something to give. Heavenly Father, as we're in this moment together, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would fill us with your hope, that you would fill us with your strength, because some of us, God, we've added up number one, number two, and number three, and we don't have it. And so, God, we need you to do something. We need you to add life to us, hope to us. Let me just say from, from God, if you're here and you've been cheated on or you've been the cheater, or you're dealing with an illness, or you failed financially, or whatever it is, and you thought your life was over, and you thought your usefulness to God was over. No, God says, I will cause all things to work together for good. I will add fizzle to your life, even your mistakes, so that my son will be glorified. Let me encourage you today. Just ask the Holy Spirit to add fizzle to your life, to add hope to your marriage, to your children. But let it start with you.